0: Welcome to the Executive Security Podcast, where we talk to CISOs and other leaders in cybersecurity about careers in this industry, specifically how to get into it and how to advance. My name is Gene Fay, the CEO of ThreadX, an API and application security company, and the host of the Executive Security Podcast. Today we're joined by MK Palmore, Director, Office of the CISO at Google and a vice president at the nonprofit, which we're partnered and we're very excited about this organization, Cyversity.
1: MK, how are you? I'm doing well, Gene. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Well, thank you. And uh, we appreciate you uh, starting so early on the West Coast. We are really uh, excited to have you as a guest. And I know there's a a lot of things to kind of jump in and and talk about from your background to uh, the great organization of Cyversity. So let's jump into it and maybe talk a little bit about your really fascinating career you went from the military to the FBI to now a cybersecurity executive. So, can you tell us a little bit about the origin story of like how you ended up on this crazy journey and now as a vice president in the CISO's office at Google? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a lot going on there
1: and a lot to peel back. Uh, yeah. Again, appreciate the opportunity to be on the show and have this conversation with you. You know, so I'm a United States Naval Academy graduate. Uh, spent uh, five years as a commission officer in the Marines, and as I got towards the end of my period of service. I looked to continue my service and then subsequently applied to become a special agent in the FBI, which uh, obviously went really well for me because I did get accepted into the Bureau. Yeah, uh, ended up spending uh, 22 years uh, wow. as a special agent in the FBI. I uh, had a pretty amazing career. got an opportunity to do lots of wonderful things. Towards the midpoint of my career, I, I did in a rather determined fashion, make a switch into cybersecurity investigative duties. And I had the opportunity towards the end of my career to actually lead a very large-scale cybersecurity investigative team for the FBI based out here in San Francisco. And so I did that for the last six years of my career, retired from the FBI, uh, subsequently went to a company called Palo Alto Networks for a few years as a field CISO spent uh, my time there traveling the globe on behalf of Palo Alto Networks and talking about security tools and security tool adoption. And then the uh, the opportunity uh, at Google Cloud came along and I was asked to join really a, a team of equals team. Uh, the office of the CISO is a bunch of former security executives across industry verticals. And we spend a good amount of our time engaged in customer facing engagement, supporting the adoption of Google Cloud from a security perspective. And so it's a fascinating opportunity, love being in the cybersecurity industry, have been a participant and observer now in the industry for better than a decade. And it was actually, you know, my exposure to the industry that teed up an opportunity I was exposed to at the time, I think this was 2017, an organization called ICMCP, which was the old name for uh, Cybersity, attended a West Coast conference, found in networking and attending the conference, lots of folks uh, who's... Opinions about the lack of diversity in the industry really resonated with me, and I joined the organization (laughs) nearly immediately. Uh, And that started off a, a, a good track of time spent supporting the organization. When I was at Palo Alto Networks, I actually launched the Bay Area chapter of Cyversity. And so I have been in a leadership position now for quite some time. And then this year, I was asked to step in as the uh, vice president of the organization. And I help with the, in addition to my day job, I I help run the uh, day-to-day operations and also play a fairly heavy role in the strategic direction of the organization as well. And so we're, just to give you the, the quick down and dirty, and you know this, but for your audience, we're an organization dedicated towards increasing the presence of women Traditionally underrepresented minorities and veterans in the cybersecurity and technology space, and we do a number of things in that regard in terms of building programs. And this is really a passion topic for me, so I, I spend lots of additional cycles of my time engaged in diversity and inclusion efforts in cybersecurity. And so that's my background. And uh, and again, uh, hopefully we'll we'll peel back the the onion on some other things. But uh, love the opportunity to get in and talk about this stuff.
0: Obviously, our listeners can't see you, but uh, you look about 35, so you've done a lot of things since, you know, I know you're a little older yeah. than that. But, I uh, tell
1: folks i spent 32 years in the U.S. government, they always look at me kind of odd. Well, that, that, <laughs> when i retired from government, that's what they pay me for, 32 years of service. So. <laughs>
0: well, that's a wonderful thank you for your service. And uh, having, uh, I worked at a company uh, which was called White Ops, it's now called Human Security, and I wasn't, I was tangentially watching our company work closely with the FBI to take down a massive botnet focus in the ad tech side of things uh, all the way to actually them, uh, which doesn't happen very often, but actually being able, they arrested a few Russians that were involved in it when they left Russia to go to countries where they could actually be arrested. So it was really, it was about a two year journey for me. I think a Three-year journey for the company and the FBI, and to watch it culminate in actual arrest—it was pretty interesting. So I'm sure lots of stories like that, reminiscent of things you were involved in. I'm sure
1: there are lots of stories like that, and it's a shame that the uh, the public doesn't hear much more about that type of collaboration that you were just describing and the efforts really that the bureau puts into apprehending all these adversaries who are, in many instances. In places where they can't be apprehended, but they're always yes. on the lookout for opportunities to uh, to nab these folks, and the overall intelligence apparatus and intelligence community and the bureau in particular do a very good job of tracking adversarial activity. So, yeah, always proud to hear those stories.
0: Yeah, and and equally, I think the outreach and the way that the FBI and Google was involved, Facebook. We helped to shepherd some of this, but we it was a major, many competitors as well as the FBI all cooperating for one goal to ultimately take down something that was stealing tens of millions of dollars a month. So yeah, it was great to see that. So let's jump into a little bit of your military background because this is a topic that we hear quite often. We've had quite many military veterans come on the show and talk about what advice they give to people that are coming out of the military and looking to get into cybersecurity and kind of what you say to them. And I, I was too much of a wimp. I went to college and uh, right in the workforce. So I, I have no opinions here, but I, I get excited when people like yourself can talk to our listeners that are coming out of the military to really help them with this idea because I think it's a great transition. Well, I
1: actually do hope that you have an opinion. You're a CEO and in <laughs> the cybersecurity industry. You're one of the movers and shakers that actually makes these things possible for transitioning veterans. And um, this is a huge area of emphasis for me. Personally, I tell folks I'm, I'm passionate about really only a handful of things, and those passions obviously extend to the veterans community uh, because I am one, and this is an area where I know that I can be helpful to other veterans transitioning into the workforce, and we've all aligned on our sometimes dissimilar, but we all, I'll say, suffer from a common base of, of understanding in terms of where, <laughs> where, where we all come from uh, in terms of the veterans community, and uh, I, I think that there are opportunities here for veterans to identify cybersecurity and the technology space as an area where they would like to go and thrive. I am always a proponent of those, the characteristics that veterans bring to the table, the can-do attitude, willingness to learn, a high degree of flexibility in terms of their ability to pivot to things as they pop up. These are all important things ne- needed in the technology space. And then when you put on top of that, their ability to learn and adapt to new things, if you provide the space to give them the opportunity to learn these things, you then bring in such a qualified workforce that's capable of really helping enterprises thrive and certainly the cybersecurity field which as you know and as we've seen over the last decade is just booming in terms of interest the amount of availability of openings the need for talent to be infused into the industry there's some things we need to do on the on the industry side to really open the door and make do. make it make yeah. it allowable for these folks to oh, come yeah. into the industry but i am a big supporter of veterans operating in this space our organization Cyversity, has an event coming up on August 23rd where we're going to reamplify our commitment to the veterans community and try and get them steered towards careers in cybersecurity and we're going to try and be as helpful with that as we possibly can be providing training trying to provide them with the resources that they need in order to get exposure to the community and then subsequently get land jobs and thrive within the community but uh yeah continual focus on helping veterans try and make sure they get to the places where they want to be, because it's an important community that I'm a part of. And always, I I feel a responsibility to put the hand back into that fold and help others transition the way that I did. Oddly enough, I didn't do it. I I wasn't a technology practitioner in uh, in the Marines. My circling around the cybersecurity field is interesting because I I always tell folks, you know, I majored in political science at the Naval Academy, but it was not my first choice. I actually wanted to be a computer science major. At that time, we're talking late 80s when I entered the Naval Academy, and I was so fearful, to be honest, because the other aspects of the required academic load at Annapolis were so stringent, I did not think I could handle this new an impressive and encouraging field but at the same time I didn't think I was going to be able to balance that with the four semesters of calculus and two semesters mm-hmm. of physics and engineering courses and all this kind of stuff sure. that were mandatory just to graduate and I I always kick myself because I feel like I took a a little bit of an easier path um, right. so while I was interested in computer science that early on eventually my interest aligned with where I was professionally and thankfully in the bureau at the time and they they infused me with all the training that I needed in order to be able to jump into the field and thrive.
0: Yeah. So I I think you hit on so many great points there, but one is you you don't have to be a technologist to play an important part of our industry. I think that's first and foremost. And then the the second part is really, you know, in terms of trying to get into this industry, we'll talk about the high barriers in a second. But one thing that I've tried to give as advice to people is you got to create a one-to-one relationship to help you get into this community. And I, Former naval gentleman coming out, trying to get into the industry. He interviewed for a position in our role at our company. He didn't get it. He reached out to me, a really nice uh, LinkedIn message. And I said, hey, let me, uh, let me let me send that to Patty Titus. And Patty's a CISO at Markel, and she's former naval personnel as well. I think that's what it was. But making that connection, if he would have sent that email directly to her, she might have responded, she might not but a warm introduction. So you got to put yourself out there to really get into this industry and meet great people like a Julian Waits, like you, like me, who would say like, okay, we see something in you and we're willing to open our network to you to help you get in there. Because it kind of gets to our next topic, which is really something you and I both feel really passionate about, which is the, the industry has just created some exceedingly high barriers to entry. So, you know, what do you think we can do and what do you think Cyversity can do to try to play a role in trying to break down some of those barriers to help? Because I, I, before you answer it, I'll just give you, a, a, for instance, like we say there's 700,000 jobs open right now in the U.S. and that number is exponentially growing. And we, ThreadX, a small company of less than 100 people, we post one open position for a no experience necessary job and we get 4,000 applications. So it's like okay, there's obviously talent out there. If a small company like us can attract four thousand people, what do companies between ThreadX and Rapid Seven and Google and Market what what do we all need to do? And what do you think diversity can do to try to help to reduce these barriers? I think we, so. We could spend the entirety of our conversation <laughs> on, on, cha- on changes <laughs> that the industry the day. Uh,
1: industry need to make. And, and I want to you know before I answer this question, I want to uh, thank you for that story that you gave about networking because I tell folks I people reach out to me a lot. They want to know, how did you do that? How did you do what it is that you've been able to do? And so I spend time providing advice to people. And the number one thing that I tell people is that if you aren't working on expanding your network all of the time, Mm -hmm. you are missing opportunities that might be presented to you. And- you have to be willing, on the flip side, to offer opportunities to other folks as they come along. So, they, building that network is very important. I don't want to just gloss over that. You told a really compelling story. There are not many CEOs, quite frankly, that are responsive to that kind of outreach. So, the fact that you did and connected that person to someone else who subsequently—you know—I don't—I don't know where they are, whether or not they were able to enter the industry, but just that act. I think, gives folks sort of this thing like, hey, I can reach out to people, I can have conversations, I can build a network. You can build a network out of nothing, but then you have to take the steps in order to nurture it. So I want to thank you for that. There's a lot we could be doing from the industry standpoint. First of all, organizations like Cyversity, and we're not the only ones out there, although I'm proud of the work that we do. We partner with organizations like WESIS and others out here, uh, RACES all of these organizations who are geared towards identifying these underrepresented populations who can be a part of the cybersecurity industry. So we play a part in what I like to call priming the pump. In other words, we're going to give you qualified candidates. They're going to go through these programs that we've established, these partnerships that we have with training organizations. We're going to skill these folks up, but the industry really has to open its optic in terms of identifying proper job descriptions, mm-hmm. identifying entry-level positions that they can absorb in order to allow people the time to ramp up their abilities and to actual get practical application and learning. One of the things as an industry that we do a horrible job at is that we oftentimes are looking for people who have already done the job in order yeah. to come on board our organizations and then do the job again for us. But hey, do it even better than, than, than <laughs> right. you did for the other organization that you used to work for it's a little bit of a cop-out. It is a way of sustaining what it is that you're doing and, and allowing the organizations to pivot and then grow. But at the same time, we're not nurturing that pipeline that is now growing. There are folks who are learning these skills and materials. All they need is an opportunity, but many organizations are not willing to give them to it. So we need to build those internships. We need to build opportunities for folks to get experience. We need to realize that as employers, there is time that we need to spend helping Folks get practical experience, and we can't expect to have our candidates come in as these five star performers right out of the gate. I think we're missing opportunities to build and grow talent. And I tell you, if you give folks, if you bring folks in and you nurture their development and give them the opportunity to succeed and and surround them with good leaders, they'll stay with your organization for as long as they're there and thriving and, and help you help your organizations to grow. But as an industry, to be honest, I've seen such a unwillingness to take those overt chances. And to the organizations out there that do, those are the ones that I just, I'll applaud 24-7 because they are understanding that what they're doing is going to help the industry first, which is very difficult for an enterprise to get its hand wrapped around. How Why, why would I want to help the overall industry? I got stuff I need to get done here in, yeah, in our enterprise. Help the industry first, help the individual. You will help yourself as an organization by helping across those lanes. And there's just, there's so much we could be doing. And again, I, I applaud you and your and your teams for engaging on this issue. Well, thank you. But it really needs attention and help. And I think oftentimes we're so, as practitioners, so interested in the tyranny of the now, right? Everything that's pressing the issues that, well, oh my God, I got to get this issue off my table. And we're just not thinking about the long game on this, which is why yeah. we are 750K in the hole on these rules. Yeah.
0: no, absolutely. I think about people like yourself, uh, Julian Waits and Corey Thomas at Rapid7, all three of you, very, very busy people, all giving back to the industry and and specifically with Cyversity, which we're ecstatic to be a partner with through ThreadX Academy. Anybody who's a member of Cyversity can use our content for free.
1: Love the partnership. Thank you very much. Yeah.
0: No, but I think it's for us, it's uh, ultimately about, I I think personally, uh, not to get too much about myself, but the industry has been really good to me. I get to work with great people today at ThreadX, but I've been a part of four organizations. I've sold two, one to EMC, one to IBM, met more people. So why not spend some time giving back to the organization to be able to uh, give back to the industry? And I think something you hit on that, that I can implore to our listeners that are in positions of hiring to really look at those job descriptions and understand, are you really looking for purple squirrels or can you bring in somebody that maybe doesn't have the experience, but to your point, maybe doesn't have the experience, but has military background, knows how to do teamwork and knows how to work in a variable environment. It can be a little bit further along, a little more mature, a little more hungry to be able to make something happen. So nothing wrong with trust fund kids. I just wasn't I'm not going to be one, but uh, you know, somebody is coming in. I, I call them PhDs, poor, hungry, desperate to be rich types of people. And You know, when you open up those types of opportunities to those types of people, to your point, the amount of loyalty that you garner, it's a force multiplier ultimately on what you get out of it. Absolutely. And and I think you probably share this sentiment. For me,
1: my investment in this and the juice that I put into this, it's worth the squeeze because when I see and hear back from someone who has matriculated, they've gone from a zero start and they've landed that first job, it's amazing sense of satisfaction to say, I played, even if it was a 1% role that you played in their matriculation, it's like I contributed to someone else finding this really, really this gem of an industry. It's a great industry to be a part of. And yeah, there are all of these other ancillary benefits that come along with being a part of the cybersecurity industry. And you can do things like build wealth. You can build a professional portfolio that will make you a desirable ad to anyone's enterprise. Remember, cybersecurity Uh, crosses every enterprise in the market now. As we we all like to say, every company is a technology company. And the need for cybersecurity practitioners, I think, will continue to grow.
0: Yeah. I also think about, to your point, the give back and the feel-good aspect of doing good. I think all the way back to probably 15 years ago, I remember a gentleman reaching out to me on LinkedIn and uh, he said, hey, I went to Northeastern. I'm going to Northeastern. He was going to Northeastern at the time. He goes, I interviewed to be an inside sales intern at EMC, which is now part of Dell. He saw that, hey, I went to Northeast. I worked at EMC. And he said, you know, I didn't get the job. And he was an African-American gentleman. I saw that in his LinkedIn profile. And so I said, well, give me a call. So we have a call. And he's just great, great guy hard worker, just a sense of energy, sense of purpose. And I said, hey, let me let me make a call. So I, I call Linda Conley, who at the time was running the program. And it's probably 300 people in the full-time program plus 50 or 60 interns. So I, I said, Linda, I said, look, this great guy, he said, he's an EMCer. I said, he also would help with diversity. I said, I think you should just interview him. Your manager didn't approve. Uh, so she interviewed him and I forgot about it. He sent me a nice note, said, hey, I got the internship and I forgot about it. And probably, I don't want to totally exaggerate, but call it 10 years later, I get this LinkedIn message and it's from somebody at Google. And I open it up and it's this gentleman Amazing. and he says to me, he says, hey, Gene, he goes, I want to tell you that how much you helped me. He said, you know, that little call you made got me an EMC and one thing leads to another. And now he's got a great career at Google you know, how good does that make? Amazing, me? amazing. That's that's good stuff. And what did that cost me in time? How busy was I that day? Was there anything more important I did that day besides maybe call my wife and my kids, then make that two seconds? But anyway, I think that's the point. We should all be doing that. Absolutely. And in our industry of cybersecurity with such a shortage of people, there's something in it. I, I always say, uh, I want to help 30 people every year get a job and they can't be anybody we hire at ThreatX. But there's something in it for me. Like it, it helps me to get up in the morning and and have purpose, right?
1: Absolutely. No, this this is the stuff that gets me out of the bed. And that's an outstanding story. And uh, I've had very similar experiences. But again, the fact that you make the time to connect with these folks, I, I mean, I spend really probably an inordinate amount of time saying yes to these, I call them, you know, short networking calls, because I feel like I can offer even a morsel of something that someone can grab a hold of and then run with. And then, you know, making connections, I mean, why are we all on LinkedIn if you're not willing to right. if, you're not, if you're not willing to connect people to your network that seems, it seems like an oddity to me. Yeah there's a little there's a little bit of self-promotion involved. We're on there because hey, I'm doing these amazing things right uh, And here's my uh, massive network and then when someone asks you for access to the network, you don't no. you don't, re- you don't respond to them it, Crickets. I, yeah I don't, I don't know. it, it seems ridiculous. So uh, no. I def- I, that's why I'm on that platform to network with people and to connect people. uh, If my network can be useful to you and I do have that kind of Ability to conduct a, a warm introduction, I'll do it every time because it, which, it didn't take me any time. It, it's a little bit of cut and paste, uh, you know, writing up. And now with Bard and, and ChatGPT, you can have those write up right. intro emails for you. Right. <laughs> exactly. in the mall. And then it's out of oh. your hands, but you've done your part. Yeah. And if the people and if the folks connect and do their thing, then by all means, let's make these things happen. Help people to network. Yeah. It's the, it's the most sure.
0: important thing by far. For sure. Absolutely. Awesome. So let's get to our last question, MK. And we touched on this a little bit, but we have an awareness problem within cybersecurity. Most people think that they need some deep technical skills. They've got to be a coder. What are some examples of roles that you think don't require extensive know-how from day one? And so these are the challenge we deal with in terms of attracting people to the
1: field. There is an automatic apprehension that people have when they hear the term cybersecurity that every aspect of the job is a technical one and will require them to do things in terms of being able to code, be a developer, like the, the kinds of backgrounds that people go to school for in order to develop and then subsequently put into action. And yes, there are components of the field that require that kind of application. I'm a big fan of folks who bring that high level of technical capability to the field, but not every job in cybersecurity requires a technical background. I always point folks to governance, risk, and compliance uh, as a great place to start. It is such a, uh, I mean, you can't talk enough about the importance of it and the role that it plays in maintaining a functioning cybersecurity apparatus for enterprise today. And it is a way for folks to break into the industry and then subsequently, both by osmosis, like you're going to pick up things in the field by being a part of governance, risk and compliance teams within cybersecurity. But that also provides you then that foundational opportunity to go learn on your own, to pick up some of the things in an academic fashion. And then when you couple that together with your actual practical experience that you're learning in the field, you can actually become um, come up with some Thoughts around how you believe folks should proceed as it relates to building a more secure apparatus, and I think that uh, GRC is a wonderful. Well, I always point that out as a as a place to start for folks who are trying to break into the field who just don't think they have the the wherewithal. I won't say the aptitude because everyone c- everyone can learn this stuff. That's another thing that I think we have to demystify. As an industry, you can learn this. It just depends on how much work you want to put into it. When I was a leader in the FBI and I began to pursue certifications, there were a ton of people who, like, well, what's your background? Like, how are you going to do these certs? And I'm like, I went to an engineering school, like I know how to study. That's <laughs> <Like, Right. Exactly. laughs> this this is the stuff I'm saying to myself. Like I made it through the US Naval Academy. There's nothing I can't go and learn if there's a curriculum sure. provided and an opportunity to actually learn. And so again, always grateful that the FBI provided me an opportunity. I took every cybersecurity course that they would allow me to take of course, magnanimously, the the FBI at the time, because they understood and still understand they had to invest in their workforce. They paid for every penny of it. So had I been someplace else, I probably would not have had the opportunity to build my cybersecurity academic knowledge. But thankfully, through public service, I was able to do that, which is another thing I tell people to do. I say, if you're trying to break into this industry, think about going into public service because they have the training budgets. They also... In most instances, this is not every instances, are more willing to hire entry-level folks and actually train them up and teach them because in public service, first of all, in public service, they think you're going to spend the rest of your professional career when you get a a job. So we're going to have this person forever.
0: We can train them up. We 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 have
1: time. We can train them up. We can actually invest in them and spend time uh, so that they can be better at their jobs. Private enterprise suffers the we're we're only going to have this person for maybe a short amount of time. Economic cycles, maybe where their team will get dropped. So we got to get everything we can get out of them right now. They're only going to be here for eight quarters or whatever. You know, I, you know, I don't know how people think when they go through these hiring cycles, but it is definitely a short game mentality. Whereas in public sector, it's a long game mentality. The investments there. So there are lots of ways we need to help demystify. If you have the inclination and aptitude to go the more technical route, I actually would recommend that if you have the aptitude and inclination, mm-hmm. but don't let that be the barrier for you to look at this industry, invest time, maybe learn some things that don't require the technical components, and then make an attempt to break in the industry.
0: Uh, I think that's great advice, uh, MK. I think you're spot on in every, everything you talked about. And I do think the governance risk compliance also, the acronym is GRC. See some of the job postings just as GRC, but uh, I think that's great, great advice and great episode. And and thank you for everything you've done for our country so far, and and making Google a better company. And even more importantly, uh, your role as Vice President of Diversity. Uh, we'll try to make sure this episode gets out before the August twenty third event. And if there's anything we can do to help make that event be successful providing people or more content, please let us know.
1: Yeah, love the partnership, Gene, and really appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk about cybersecurity and uh, and all things cybersecurity. Awesome.
0: Well, as a reminder to our listeners looking to up their cybersecurity skills, you'll get one-year free content from our cybersecurity training portal, ThreatX Academy, by using the promo code PODCAST. ThreadX Academy covers a wide variety of cybersecurity topics. You can learn more by going to academy.threadx.com or join the Siversity organization where you can also get free access to ThreadX Academy. Also, check out a recent episode with Deputy CISO at HubSpot, Alyssa Robinson. The episode is called Finding Opportunity in an Economic Downturn. We think that's very timely uh, to put that one out there for many of our listeners If you want to learn anything more about API and application security, please visit ThreadX.com. MK, thank you again. Absolutely great episode. And I I know our listeners are going to love this. So thank you for your time and please have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me, Jay.